NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. If approved, applications are typically funded the next business day or sooner. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I've been with my friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. When the book is written on the market's performance this month, there will be one lone hero, one company that launched rallies in hundreds of good stocks. And that savior was none other than the failed Silicon Valley Bank. Rallies that included today, and the Dow gained 323 points, S&P jumped 1.42%, and the Nasdaq pulled water 1.79%. Yet the useful idiots at the helm of the previously smart merchant bank set off a domino-like financial catastrophe, and we have to thank them for it because the crisis stayed the hand of the most aggressive Federal Reserve in 40 years. Without the overnight collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, we might have been hit with an additional 50 basis point rate hike on top of the quarter point we got last week. That's how hot this economy remains. And I bet the averages would be substantially lower than they stand right now. Instead, we've been enjoying a rally centered around the NASDAQ of all places that's left behind so many strategists lost in the weeds of something abstruse and allegedly all-knowing, and it's called the yield curve. These thumb-sucking economists care so much about the macro, yet somehow they're always missing the big picture. What a bunch of gas bags. They must be paid by the word, certainly not by the capital gain. They know nothing! Nobody can blame the Fed for slowing down the pace of its rate hikes. Until a few weeks ago, we didn't care that so many bags had taken their covid boosted deposits and invested them in the longer-term bonds that were practically guaranteed to take losses in the event of aggressive rate hikes, which we got. We didn't have a clue that old-fashioned bank runs could happen so swiftly. Who knew that a bank like SVB could have a deposit base of venture capitalists, billionaires, by the way, often, that wanted their money back all at once because they hadn't been able to bring their portfolio companies public in this comatose IPO market. We saw billions of dollars exit with a couple of keystrokes, and practically overnight, this fixture of a merchant bank just vanished, leading legions of panic depositors in its way. Suddenly, corporate treasurers felt compelled to pull their money from the regional banks and put it in the safest place around, J.P. Morgan, a couple of other titans, because why take the risk of a bank run, only $250,000 in insurance? But when you go through all the ramifications of the SVB failure, they actually end up breaking positive, not negative, for much of the stock market, all because of the Federal Reserve. A month ago, the Fed was fighting one more, the war against inflation. 
Then we got an instant financial crisis, so suddenly they also need to worry about bank runs, which are the most deflationary force in existence. So what's happened in the wake of Silicon Death Valley? First, investors dug up the playbook of what you can buy when there's an economic slowdown without high inflation, because that's the typical result of a credit crunch. In a sluggish economy, the Wall Street playbook says you buy tech, but not just any tech. You buy tech that's brimming with cash and doesn't need to tap the equity or bond markets. Pristine techs that have so much money, they actually look like banks without all those pesky risks of running a bank, credit losses, tellers. That may sound like a weird way to invest, but you know this show is about pulling back the curtain so you can find out what's really going on. And you need to understand that this is truly the way money is managed in this country. And the great thing about trying to figure out which stocks to buy in this new scenario is that they're already chosen for you. Yep, you go for after the most obvious big name techs that are carrying around boatloads of cash. For instance, you go with, of course, Apple. Today, people lapped up the launch of Apple's Buy Now, Pay Later service, where they'll advance you anywhere from $50 to $1,000, then you pay them back in four installments. Oh, it's a nice hook. The news actually broke, though, yesterday at 11.30 a.m. No one seemed to care then. See, the real reason Apple stock keeps going higher is because the bears, they have run out of ammunition. At least for the moment. They tried to float the idea that the service revenue was slowing, and that didn't work. They circulated the usual surfeit of component supply surveys. Pushbacks from a lack of demand fell flat. They even went with the sales hurt by the China Cold War thesis, something that didn't hold up under close scrutiny given CEO Tim Cook's rapturous appearance in the PRC this week. Any of these stories might have wrecked that stock last year, but this is now a market where Apple gets the benefit of the doubt, again, thanks to the first national bank of doofuses. Of course, uh, Meta Whatever was able to put on a good show, too. What a remarkable moment. Think about this. Mark Zuckerberg, perhaps the most reviled man to testify in front of Congress, at least if you exclude the bankers, has managed to beef up his TikTok killer reels just when Congress wants to back handily to his bidding by threatening to block the Chinese-owned TikTok. He's the Manchurian Meta candidate. At the same time, Zuckerberg's laying off people left and right, which is exactly what this market loves. No wonder the stock's been a huge winner. But then, seemingly out of nowhere, unless you watch this show on even a cursory basis, NVIDIA managed to steal the stage. CEO Jensen Wong's annual keynote address happened to come exactly when the banking crisis struck the most fear in the hearts of many a distracted investor. They missed the moment when the man I call the modern-day Da Vinci unleashed a technology that may be as revolutionary as the cell phone, the Internet, and maybe even the wheel, certainly the helicopter. I am talking about generative artificial intelligence, or AI. In one brilliant 78-minute lecture, Wong showed us how AI could be immediately added to the bottom lines of the likes of Microsoft, Adobe, Oracle, all apostles of the NVIDIA gospel, among so many other companies. The event was tailor-made for them. It produced a NASDAQ stock bonanza. That was easy. But that's not all. Chaotic moments like we had in the wake of the Silicon Valley Bank, Silvergate, and Signature Bank, the three stooges of banking, tend to embolden short sellers. They sense that a slowing economy would bring about a hobbled consumer and a weakened housing market. Larry, Moe, Curly, Shemp, even Joe couldn't resist trying to take advantage of this bank bloodbath. So naturally, they targeted stocks like, let's say, Cintas, okay? That, they reported today. It's an outfit that supplies uniforms to small, medium-sized businesses because isn't business getting weaker, right? Isn't that what's happening? 
Hmm, stock worth 21 points or about 5% on mass beat. Oh, they honed in on Micron, the bedraggled commodity chipmaker. A bottom beckons, and next thing you know, they're squeezed for a 7% gain. They gun for expensive retailers like Lululemon, and they are gaffed for 40 points or 12%. These were all great shorts, in theory. But in mad money, we're talking practice. They shorted these stocks, unwittingly issuing invitations, yes, indeed, to their own funerals. Finally, the pessimists reached for the stocks of companies they would assume would experience a slowdown in orders from the inevitable credit crunch, a credit crunch that frankly hasn't surfaced yet. I'm talking, say, Caterpillar, Illinois Tool Works, classic cyclicals that normally get blasted to kingdom come in a slowdown. Now they have to average up or cut their losses. You know what, guys, do the latter. Oh, and let's not forget customer relationship management kingpin Salesforce with CEO Mark Benioff knocking off not one, not two, not three, not four, but five activists with a slingshot and some amazing earnings. Benioff's a collateral winner. Silicon Valley Bank was nurturing some competitors that have just had their oxygen turned off, turned off the oxygen. Toto. Now, I'm not saying these events wouldn't have happened if not for the bad bank domino theory, but I think they would have been interpreted differently for certain. Yep. Fewer tech stocks would be getting the benefit of the doubt if the Fed hit us with a 50 basis point rate hike and a few hikes more, which may well have been in the cards without the bank runs. Of course, we don't know what lurks in the banking world. People keep shouting from the rooftops that Schwab's next. I mean, wait, Schwab, that's one of the most ill-advised positions I've heard. And, and as I explained earlier this week, it's a good stock. First Republic, apart from a distant, uh, they think that's a distant re- resemblance to SVB? I don't know. Certainly we could come in tomorrow and find some ne'er-do-well bank grasp of federal straws. There's one thing we know for sure, though. This banking crisis has spooked the Fed. And that's allowed all sorts of growth stocks to come back in style on, yes, indeed, the Wall Street runway. The bottom line, this market may be mindless, but it's got muscle memory that says you reach for tech in a slowdown. The Silicon Valley bank fiasco was just the oxygen that tech bull needed to snap out of its funk and get back to work in time to give you a nearly 14% gain for the Nasdaq in what's looking to be the three months that fooled the world. Dale in Kentucky. Dale. Booyah, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. What's going on? Hey, got a question for you. I'm invested in a company that I know they do a lot to help reduce carbon emissions in hospitals and factories and schools and such. What's your thoughts on training technologies going forward? I think those guys are good. I'm going to give them a twofer. I think you get a twofer. I'm going to throw in Carrier because I like what they're doing, too. So that wasn't just one. I gave you two. How about Zimmy in Florida? Zimmy. Mr. Kramer, what's happening? Not much. How about you? Oh, you know, just living life in Florida. But, you know, like many uh, right, so you got the edge of me. You have to rub it in. He has to rub it in. He's in Florida. I'm here in, in uh, New York. What's up? Yeah. You know, um, just like uh, many retail investors out there, I got in at Tesla probably around like 30 bucks a share. And given that our, our boy Jerome Powell is looking like he's going to cut rates later this year due to a recession, is the time now really to sell Tesla? No, no. And let's say the one thing that's great about Tesla, we don't need Jay to make money because we got Elon. And Elon is real and he's great. Uh, by the way, you're in Florida. I saw a launch. Go see a launch. It's mind blowing. It's one of the greatest things I've ever done. Let's go to Paul in Texas. Paul. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. I'd like to discuss some homework I've done on Cineos Health, ticker SYNH. 
Now, I know we shouldn't buy a stock for a takeover bid, but this one's really interesting. No. Well, tell me what's interesting about it. Because, I mean, the reason I say that only because it's like I, I myself have to do something about it. I don't understand how this stock could be so cheap. And usually when there's something this cheap, it means there's a story behind it. So we're going to come back and we're going to learn what's really going on. All right. When it's all said and done, the blow up of Silicon Valley Bank may play down as the market's saving grace. And not a moment too soon. Well, man, buddy, tonight, Macy's CEO Jeff Gannett announces plans to retire in February of next year. And I'm learning more about the company's succession plan with the man himself. Then earlier, I had a chance to talk to GSK CEO Emma Walmsley as part of CNBC's Healthy Returns Conference. And we're showing you a piece of that interview that you do not want to miss. And Paychex has its finger on the pulse of small, medium-sized businesses in this country. So where does this corner of our economy stand with regional banks in limbo and the Fed on a mission to tame inflation? I'm digging the deep details with the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand. NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visited visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. This morning Jeff Kinnett, the chairman CEO of Macy's and now he'll be stepping down in February of next year and handing over his position to Tony Sprint, who currently runs Bloomingdale's. I think Kinnett's done an incredible job here. 
Macy's was spiraling when he took over in February of 2018, crushed under a heavy debt load, failing to find its place in a retail landscape increasingly dominated by e-commerce. Then just as he got the situation stabilized, COVID hit. Stores had to shut down. But Macy's got through it because of Gannett. Not only that, they stuck with Gannett's turnaround plan and came out of the pandemic much stronger than they were when they went into it. While we've still got some time before the transition, we need to know more about what is happening here. So let's check in with Jeff Gannett. He's the chairman and CEO of Macy's. Now that he's on his last year on the job. Mr. Gannett, welcome back to Mad Money. Uh, Great to be with you, Jim. Thanks for having me. Uh, Jeff, look, it's bittersweet. I'm, I'm thrilled that you're here. (laughs) But I think you've done an amazing job and you finally got the place to where it's really ready to soar. So I can only ask, why leave the best job in the world? Why? Why now? (laughs) I think that's exactly as you described it, because it is ready for me to hand it off. You know, I'm a 40 year veteran of this company. So just know that I wasn't going to hand it off until the company was ready, until the talent was ready. And, uh, you know, look, I worked with the board of directors on this for two years We uh, looked at internal and external candidates, and we landed on Tony Spring as our CEO-elect and with a dual promotion of Adrian Mitchell as our chief operating officer in addition to what he's done with CFO. So um, we can talk about each of those decisions, but I'm very excited about the talent that's going to take Macy's back to profitable growth in 24 and beyond. Well, why don't you tell us a little more about Tony Spring? We know, you know I love Bloomingdale's. We joke about it a lot off camera. But yeah. uh, the numbers have been very good there. What's he got in mind, you think? Yeah, so Tony is, uh, first off, he has been with Bloomingdale's his entire career. Uh, and I think when you talk about Tony, he is an innovator for the customer. He is a brand builder. And this guy is a great team leader. And what he's been able to orchestrate with the Bloomingdale's brand over his tenure has been extraordinary. And if you just look at 2022, uh, he took market share from his luxury, you know, uh, the luxury neighborhood. He basically had the peak volume year in Bloomingdale's history, peak customer satisfaction, orchestrated the 150th anniversary with aplomb, uh, you know, bringing in new customers, uh, retaining the existing ones to new spend levels. Also, over the last year and a half, uh, Tony was running, uh, he was at Blue Mercury, and he was overseeing what Mally Bernstein, as the new CEO, has been doing, picking up big shoes that Marlon Barry Beck left, the founders, and that is now on new growth territory. The other thing I love about Tony is for the past three years, he's been a corporate officer of Macy's. So we've been right in the trenches with me and my senior team, really divining where Polaris is going to go. New growth factors. So this guy is going to hit the ground running. Very excited about Tony's leadership and his potential running all of Macy's Inc. Well, you've had so many uh, great initiatives, and you mentioned the player strategy, and you, you've done so much to make it so that the, the footing here is great during one of the most difficult times to, to ever run a retailer. What do you want your legacy to be? You know, the teams that I've created, uh, the strategies that are in play, the new customers that we are going to acquire, that's all part of it. Look over my, I guess this is my left shoulder, Mission Everyone is our platform for social purpose. And so you know my personal story. So, you know, being coming out, you know, very early in my career and being in a culture like Macy's, which is DNA, is all about, you know, this diverse stew of, of, of cultures that we have in this country and really to put teeth behind that. And what Mission Everyone did with the $5 billion strategy that we launched last year, we're well on our way to improve the planet. Uh, what we're doing for communities, what we're doing for our colleagues and our customers. 
It's been one of my proudest moments to take what is just inherently, this is our core values at Macy's, and to really put teeth in this and to really operate at scale a DE&I strategy that is making a difference. Well, That's probably what I'm most proud of. Okay, I think of you as someone who is really at the heart of business being the greatest force for social change and unity in this country. Will you be able to continue that status in some way after you leave Macy's? So this is, what I, this is what I said to my husband, that I wasn't going to make any decisions until after I retired. What I am looking forward to, I've got 10 more months, and I am so committed to, with the steering wheel in my hands of being CEO and chairman of ensuring that this is a very smooth transition. And I know that I'm going to come around thinking about what Chapter 2 is. Nothing to report today. I do know that I'm going to spend more time with my family. You know, my daughter is graduating college in a couple of months. Uh, my husband has been retired for a bit. So I'm going to enjoy that. But uh, I will do something else. I don't know what that is yet. Uh, you're going to be one of the first that I'm going to tell, though. Oh, I sure hope so, because I've enjoyed our friendship so great. Really, I remember the first time I sat down with you, I said, I'm worried about the balance sheet. And we took a hard <laughs> look at it. And I was thinking when I heard that you wanted to come on today, I was thinking, I know that there's a six and an eighth piece of paper that is annoying you for a couple of years out. You pay it back. I did not know that it was going to be time for you to be able to set sail. But I want to tell you, I, I think that, that Blue Mercury and Bloomingdale's in many ways could be the stars for the next five years. How do you advance them so that people realize how incredibly unique they are as retail properties? So you see what we're doing with Bloomingdale's right now. And so obviously we have a brick and mortar strategy that includes new off-mall formats with Bloomies. Uh, you see what we're doing with our website. So we've doubled the website in the last three years. And you know Tony's leadership on that. We're bringing in new brands all the time. Uh, so that has lots of potential. And you think about 50 major DMAs in the country, Bloomingdale's is in 18 of those. So we have a lot of opportunity to continue to put down flags, which spins omni-channel business, stronger digital penetration. So lots of opportunities with Bloomingdale's with big ambition there. Blue Mercury, as you mentioned, you know, that just is continues. The moment we operate or we open a store, it's, it's profitable, almost in the first year, virtually every one of them. That is an amazing formula, luxury beauty. Uh, what we have in terms of a service culture there, you know, this cocktail and curated level of brands, both in, both in you know, color treatment as well as fragrance, home fragrance. What we do with our spa services, you know, huge opportunities to continue to expand that. That's what gets us excited about Tony's leadership, his ability to influence that, you know, on Macy's. You mentioned the balance sheet. Just to underline the great strength we have with Adrian, what he's been able to do with not only his financial prowess, but how he operates omnichannel at scale, his strategic abilities. This is a great one-two punch that we are going to be handing over, you know, uh, you know, this year and going into 24 and beyond. Well, I am thrilled for you. I did fear wistfulness. Because I know how much you love Macy's. I know how much you love your job. But you also have your priorities right. I want to congratulate you for everything that you have done. For all the people who work at Macy's. And, of course, for all of us very satisfied customers. That's Jeff Gannett, Chairman and CEO of Macy's. Always great to see you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Mayor Blaney's back here for the break. Coming up. Many healthy returns to you. Kramer dons the scrubs for an interview from CNBC's annual gathering you won't want to miss when we return. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, 
AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Earlier today, CNBC hosted its annual Healthy Return Summit, featuring world-class virtual gathering of industry leaders in biopharma, medical technology, and managed care. During that event, I got a chance to speak with Dame Emma Walmsley. She's the CEO of GSK. That's the drug company formerly known as GlaxoSmithKline that's been through a pretty radical transformation under her leadership. Take a look. Dame Emmett, it's always great to see you. You're at the cutting edge of a company that actually literally when you took it over, I felt was a little bit cats and dogs. But now you are addressing the major issues of our time. I don't want to just limit to RSV. You've got what I regard as being a strategy for the prevention and treatment of diseases that previous we've had nothing for. Well, hi, Jim, first of all, and thank you so much for uh, having me on today. I'm sure an exciting day and an exciting time for the industry. and, And certainly, as you say, uh, for, for GSK. I mean, we uh, have been through quite a radical uh, transformation as a company over the last five years. We're now a pure play biopharma. And as you said, absolutely after the major demerger of, uh, of Halion and absolutely resolutely focused on getting ahead of disease, literally by preventing it and treating it. And that is really uh, taking advantage of this explosion in technologies, new vaccines technologies that we've seen, of course, mRNA, but also adjuvant technologies and new emerging technologies, which we think will contribute uh, later uh, in the decade. Um, But also this great phenomena of adult vaccination. Preventing disease is always better, or intervening earlier in disease, but preventing it before it starts is always better uh, for individual patients, for the heavy burden on healthcare budgets, but also systems and keeping people out of hospitals. I think the CDC says uh, uh, that there are a million hospitalizations in America alone uh, from vaccine preventable diseases. Well, let's talk about that. One of the things that I find again and again in your business is awareness. I mean, for instance, I have friends who have shingles. They don't know about shingles. Uh, They will not know about your new vaccine. What about this gap between how evolutionary to revolutionary you become and the system itself, which is simply evolutionary and doesn't even know about these things? Well, it's a a great point, um, because if you'd, I mean, You know, one in three of us uh, will get shingles, extremely painful. uh, And that's why, you know, we we, our business grew. We had a record year last year, uh, over three billion pounds worth of business. And we still expect to keep growing very strongly uh, uh, with uh, with Shingrix again this year and, and for the years ahead. 
Three years ago, if you'd have asked the general public, you know, have you heard of uh, RSV, what is RSV? I think people would have really struggled uh, to be aware of it. But uh, just this last season, um, you heard a lot more public information actually about, uh, you know, a, a triple demic, a triple season through the winter, whether that be ongoing COVID, uh, ongoing COVID obviously flu, but also uh, RSV. And actually awareness now, um, you, which is, you know, really good to, to, to hear. Awareness now is, uh, is up at over 50% um, uh, in, you know, many parts of the general public, uh, also with prescribers, very, uh, very importantly, and uh, with pharmacists in, in retail. So we are seeing that growing. Right now, uh, Magic Johnson uh, is out communicating uh, on, a, on a general disease awareness uh, campaign to sideline uh, uh, RSV. So I think this is something we're very, uh, very thoughtful about, but also communicating uh, with uh, responsibility and transparency on, you know, the, the efficacy and the data uh, on the vaccine too. So, um, you know, where you're absolutely right is in many ways, vaccination is a consumer product. So uh, we need to make sure uh, that we communicate uh, very clearly on the benefits that can come from, you know, stopping these diseases before they start. Well, in this way, I thought that COVID was actually, uh, don't ever want to equate money with disease, but it was a boon for you. I found out about Shingrix because I went to get my COVID vaccine. And my uh, CVS practitioner said, where are you with Shingrix? And uh, until then, I just said, well, I don't know. I hear about it. I guess it's good. I mean, you've gotten people into the drugstores. They're now part of your, uh, of your effort to make it so more people live. Well, that's that's absolutely right. And, and actually, it's interesting. We have published some data that if you uh, have suffered from COVID, your propensity with a weakened immune system to actually de- develop uh, shingles goes up. But I think what, what, what's what's key in this is exactly the point you just referred to, which is whether it be because uh, the general public has got uh, used to and understands the benefits of vaccination or frankly, the retailers have set up the systems uh, and the data to, uh, you know, a- access patients, but particularly traffic in their stores uh, is really important to continue to uh, protect, protect the general public and, and keep them out of hospital, uh, both for the you know, associated costs, but also the burden of disease that that can, can develop too. So lots of opportunity ahead. Well, one of the things I, I love about your administration, the company, you're not afraid to fail. I mean, you're taking on things like UTI. Now, everyone knows <laughs> that there's, goal, there's, been, look, there's been resistance, okay? The, the bacteria is beating us. People know that. We, we think that the bacteria, that frankly, there's resistance and you, you, the community resistance can't be, uh, can't be beaten. Not you. You say, you know what? This is an illness that millions of people suffer for. I'm not going to just say, hey, listen, we lost this battle. I'm going to go take it on. Well, I, 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 this is a great topic, you know, and a lot of people... This is really foundationally important, Jim. A lot of people refer to AMR, antimicrobial resistance, as the slow pandemic. If the world does not develop new and effective antibiotics, you know, the assessments are that 10 million people a year will be dying by 2050. And from diseases now that we are really used to treating with antibiotics, but where resistance uh, is building. So... We were absolutely delighted, uh, whether that be uh, in our you know, homegrown, home-developed, organically-developed uh, uh, portfolio with Jepatidocin, 
that's hopefully going to be uh, a new uh, and exciting launch for a very common uh, uh, problem of UTIs, urinary tract infections, uh, where resistance can be quite high. And we think it's going to be, well, it's going to be hopefully the first new uh, antibiotic for many decades in, in this disease, which will help address, uh, help address this. And we stopped that clinical trial for efficacy a bit early. But also we've done some BD, again, you referred to it earlier, for, um, uh, with, for a new asset uh, for more complicated uh, infections. And, and, you know, we continue to be very thoughtful about investment here. Well, uh, Dame Emma Walmsley, CEO of GSK, you are a terrific spokesperson for the industry. And I want to thank you so much. Coming up, inflation, China, and Fed hikes, oh my. For a bird's eye view of the economy, count on paychecks, next. Everybody's worried about wage inflation, and maybe they should keep worried. This morning, we got results from Paychex, the payroll processor, and human resources outsourcer, uh, mostly focused on small, medium-sized businesses, and the numbers were just spectacular. Cut reported a solid top and bottom line beat. Management also raised numbers for its current fiscal year, which ends in May, and gave you a very encouraging forecast for its next fiscal year, which starts in June. In response, the stock roared, jumped 6.5%, in part because it had pulled back pretty hard going into the quarter, in part because people are thinking that maybe business is slowing. It's not. Can it keep climbing? Let's take a closer look with John Gibson. He's the relatively new president and CEO of Paychex. Learn more about the quarter. Mr. Gibson, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, it's great to be back with you. Well, I'll tell you, we need you. This is one of the most confusing moments I have ever seen in business. We've got a national banking system everybody's worried about. We have a Fed that keeps raising rates. And then I look at your numbers, and it's almost as if it's just a terrific time for small, medium-sized businesses in this country. Well, you're right. You're right, Jim. We just reported our third quarter, and it was another solid quarter. We beat revenue and earnings estimates. Uh, we reaffirmed our guidance to the high end of the range. And our value proposition, as we talked about the, the last, last couple quarters, our value proposition continues to resonate in the market. I really think uh, the market is seeing the value of a company like Paychex as a stable, trusted advisor um, in challenging times. And that's really helping us. Well, I think people have to realize that the government keeps giving things that you need your help on. For instance, in the conference call, I saw that uh, the SECURE Act too. And I said, well, I don't know anything about the SECURE Act too. but if I'm a small, medium-sized business person, I've got to know about that. And the only way you would know about it is through paychecks. That's correct. You know, the advisory services that we're providing and the education we're providing on government programs is one of the key reasons why I think you're seeing us have revenue, a record revenue retention, because what we're doing is having an impact to our clients. The SECURE Act, too, most people aren't aware of it, but if you're a 20 to 50 person company and you don't have a 401k plan, you can come to Paychex, start a plan, and all of the startup costs and all of the administrative costs will be covered through tax credits. And you can give each one of your employees a thousand dollar match. In many cases, you'll get that back as well. Well, that's a terrific way to retain in an era where, as you said in your conference call, it's still difficult to keep good people. We are not in a situation yet where uh, there's just a lot of people looking for jobs. You're absolutely right, Jim. Look, it, 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 we have a significant labor participation challenge um, that, the, that I think policymakers need to address. And when you're a small or medium-sized business, you've got to compete against larger employers who are offering all these benefits. So I, I applaud the government. I applaud the Congress and the president for signing the SECURE Act too. I think those type of programs, I think the employer 
uh, ERTC uh, program, the, the tax credits is also another good way to kind of support Main Street uh, small business owners. Well, Jeff, I've got to tell you, if I was a small business person with a company that had, say, $800,000 in a bank that's insured to 250000 and you have a lot of customers that I think are like that, I know I would call Paychex and say, am I safe with this bank? What are you advising people who do have small businesses that have more money than that $250,000 uh, insurance? Well, look, Jim, I, I think it's important that everybody understand you shouldn't have all your eggs in one basket. Um, and, and I certainly think that's good advice for everyone. You look at our business and what recently happened. Um, we had no impact at all, no cash, no investments in any of the banks that were impacted. We met all of our obligations. Um, and, and quite frankly, um, we're telling clients that they need to be with stable providers that have access to a multitude of different funding mechanisms. In, in these challenging times. Well, maybe you could explain, because you work with so many small, small local businesses, there is a reason why you stay with these banks. Not everybody puts their money with J.P. Morgan. You like your people to be embedded in the community. It also helps them be able to hire and have a steady workforce, correct? That's, th there's no question about it. And one of, my, one of my bigger concerns here that I think is going to have to be addressed is, you know, we already had rising interest rates, and that was increasing the cost of capital. Now, with uh, a few bad actors, we potentially have a, 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 a regional bank start to constrict access to capital. And that's not good for small business owners. And one of the things I keep telling people, I think there's two different worlds we're dealing with right now. One is Main Street small business owners and Silicon Valley. And there are two different groups of, of individuals. A small, a Main Street small business owners weren't out spending money like, like there was no tomorrow. They weren't pay overpaying people. They weren't high over hiring. They weren't hiring and paying people too much. They're trying to make payroll each and every day. And I think we have, a, we have two different things that have happened. We have a bubble that's burst uh, by easy money chasing technology companies. And I think policymakers need to be stepping in to make sure that there's access uh, to capital for the Main Street small business owner who didn't have all these benefits of the tech bubble. Well, there is an irony there. You've got hardworking people trying to make a living, build up business. It's obviously the, the backbone of our country, small, medium-sized business. And then you have, uh, frankly, a, a group of people, not all, but who, 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 many of them were billionaires. And I, I don't want to say it, but it seems like in many ways they wrecked it for everybody else. Well, look, Jim, I think the key thing for policymakers is to recognize is they're managing a very complex situation that they need to look at. There's, there's two things going on, in my opinion. The wage inflation is driven more by the labor supply. We need to do more to incent people to get to work. We need to do more uh, to increase the labor participation rate. That's gonna increase the supply of labor. That'll reduce the wage inflation issues that I think the Fed's trying to tackle. And then on, as we just talked about on the banking side, diversification is the key for everybody. And I certainly hope that what happened in a couple uh, situations doesn't trickle down and hurt the Main Street small business owner. And I think the government regulators uh, need to be very sensitive to that when they're when they're putting together their remedies. At the main, uh, also, Tim, just in terms of the country, we have some regions that are just red hot. I'm seeing them in housing, and I'm sure you're seeing them in uh, jobs. What are the regions where it is just smoking out there? Look, look. Jim, there's no question that job growth, as a matter of fact, uh, let's go on the macro side. 
So in January and February, our job index, which has been a good indicator of small business growth, actually went up both of those months. We've not seen that for some period of time, so there's still strong growth. When you get under that, the South has clearly been the winner. The South has continued to lead uh, the index there. Think Texas, think Florida, almost all re regions of the South. Uh, when we look at any type of real weakness, the West and, and portions of the Northeast. Wow. Well, look, it's, it's a remarkable two countries. Uh, don't want two countries, obviously, but it sure feels like we've got them right now. John Gibson, President and CEO of Paychex. Thank you for coming on the show. Jim, it's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, it might be right back. Coming up, what's in your mind, Kramerica? Give us a call. The lightning round is storming the NYSE. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. George in Texas. George. Hey, Jimbo. How you doing? I'm doing good, George. How about you? Great. Hey, I wanted to ask what you thought about C3 AI. Kathy Wood is very bullish on the space. Do I trade it? Well, that's, that's it? nice. And I like Tom Siebel. I've known Tom Siebel for about three decades. That said, if I want to be in AI, I am going to be in NVIDIA because they make money and they can't fill all their orders. Let's go to Susan in Rhode Island. Susan. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. My father watched your show religiously along with Jeopardy. Several months ago, after hearing an interview with Carl Icahn, I bought 50 shares of CVR Energy. Should I hold on to it or buy more? Uh, you know what? We got Marathon Pete, NPC, putting up great numbers. Sells at five times earnings. Recommended by Goldman Sachs today. I'd sell yours and go into mine. How about Jared in Texas? Jared. That's hey, Jim. Big booyah from Texas. Good to have you on the show, Jared. What's going on? Hey, so took a position in AMD all of last year when semis are getting uh, sold off. You, you thinking uh, it'll go back up 110, 120? I like the position they're in. Now, when I was listening to Mike Grant call, I was conscious of the fact that not all of AMD's, uh, it's not hitting on all cylinders right now. But when it does, I see 120. I say stay along. Let's go to Trey in Texas. Trey. Booyah, Jim. Let's talk Booz Allen Hamilton. B-A-H, baby. Just a very, very good, undervalued, unheralded company. I liked it from the day it came public, which was a lot, low, lot lower, and I want you to stay long. Trav in Massachusetts. Trav. Hi, Jim. Uh, suburban propane, symbol SPH. I don't like the propane business. Thank you, Rusty Brazil, for informing me about how volatile it's way too volatile. I'd rather see you in Enterprise uh, Partners, EPD, because that's much more consistent. Or, by the way, I saw an upgrade today of Enbridge. So Enterprise Products or Enbridge are both better than suburban propane. Let's go to Chuck in Georgia. Chuck. Hey, booyah, Jim from Roswell, Georgia. How are you, buddy? I am doing well. How about you? What's happening? Hey, man, not a lot, not a lot. Hey, Jim, I'll be honest with you. I'm big on uh, data, man. I want to go long for data. Anybody, you know, dealing in data, anybody data stories, that's what really, really what I'm looking to do. And I found you're kind of into data. You're data. You're a data guy. How about a stock? I'm a data guy, man. I'm a data guy. I'm driving down the road, and I see this uh, down the highway. I see this company. It's a Saturday. The parking lot is full of employee cars. 
I like seeing people working on Saturdays, Jim. And this company, okay. I looked them up. They've got $4 billion in customer backlog. Okay. $6 billion. $6 billion what stock is that with the parking lot, Phil? What, what stock is that there? 17% revenue growth, Jim. I mean, the okay. company has their position. All right, you got a, a compelling story. I just need the stock name. VRT. Verdict. VRT. Verdict? They've been missing a bunch of quarters. Now, Dave Cody is running the company better, but they got to raise the prices. they got to raise prices because they've not been able to keep up with the cost of production. And that, ladies and gentlemen, inclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. going to give you a lesson in big time money management because this is one of those times when the big money makes big but inscrutable decisions. Exhibit A, last night we got results from Micron, the giant commodity semiconductor company, and it hit the trifecta. Colossal earnings miss. Hideous revenue shortfall. Gargantuan forecast cut. Wall Street's reaction? Eureka! Time to buy! Now, maybe you think you're supposed to sell a stock when the quarter's that bad, but not with something like Micron. These guys make the most commoditized semiconductors, the kind that fluctuate wildly in price, depending on supply and demand. They make the memory that goes into PCs, cell phones, data centers, cars. At various times, there is indeed a mad dash for these chips because one or more of their end markets get so hot. When the pandemic got rolling, for example, the demand was off the charts for PCs as people built out their home offices. So Micron geared up like crazy. Yeah, just making all sorts of, uh, of chips for all sorts of equipment, anything, anything. And so did, by the way, arch rival Samsung. At first, things looked real good for both. But once we, we came out of that pandemic... Demand hit a wall, and then it hit another wall, and then it crashed like a Formula One car into a retaining barrier. For Micron, it was devastating, the worst downturn in 13 years. Worse, the gigantic Samsung was far more willing to maintain high levels of production just to take unprofitable market share. But this quarter, even Samsung stopped its financial fatricide. And that's really all you need to know. With both Samsung and Micron pulling back on production at the same time, history tells us we're now within two quarters of a potential bottom in pricing. We can't know exactly when that moment will come, but money managers who've seen the cycle like I do know they have to start buying Micron now in anticipation, which is why the stock jumped more than 7% on that lousy quarter. Why are money managers so eager to make this bet? Simple. If they get it right, the payoff's gigantic, like a horse that looks like a long shot, but should really go off two to one. Consider the returns Micron's given you when you get in right around the bottom. In 2008, the stock flamed out spectacularly courtesy of the Great Recession, losing 63% of its value. But when the market for its chips went into equilibrium the next year, it rallied 300%. In 2011, Micron fell 21% on a small glut. Then it was flat for a year, and the glut was worked through. After that, it roared 243%. In 2013, once that glut got cleaned up, there was it just it couldn't stop. The glut in 2015. How about this one? Stock rallied 54% in 2016 and 87% in 2017 when the glut was done. Or to look at it another way, in 2014, Micron was the 17th best performer in the SP 500. Next year, it fell to 469th. 
meaning one of the absolute worst performers. Then the business bounced back, which is how it was the 17th best performer in 2016, then the 13th best in 2017, before falling back to the 379th place when we got another semiconductor glut in 2018. That's what happens with the boom and bust business. That's also why Micron looks so darn compelling down here, because it sure looks like a bottom is at hand. Last year, Micron came in at 466 out of 500 stocks in the S&P in terms of performance. Every product line had gluts. After last night, though, and knowing that main competitor Samsung has finally blinked, there's optimism that the memory chip business can return to equilibrium. Maybe in a couple of quarters. If history's any guide, we could have something bordering on a shortage again by 2025. If that's the case, you have to... Bye, 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 bye! Right now, hand over fist. If you wait, you might miss the bottom, especially if your money manager needs to buy millions of shares before your position is large enough to make a difference to your portfolio. And that's how Mike Kahn can report one of the most plug-ugly quarters I've seen in ages, and the big money still sees it as a clarion call to buy. Micron, leaving the paddock, headed for the pole position. They're playing first call. Don't be late. The Micron Derby begins and beckons once again. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC.